This is the Coach Brew Show. This is also the world's shortest podcast intro. Welcome, everybody, to the Coach Brew Podcast. Uh, after a long hiatus, and for those of you who are intellectually lazy, that's a big word for uh, break, I return with a new episode. And this is an exciting one because uh, it isn't often that I bring you a guest. This is usually a monologue. I'll still probably monopolize a conversation, but it is a dialogue. And uh, my guest today is a, um, he kind of puts the Dos Equis guy to shame. I'll put it to you that way. He's legit the most interesting man in the world. Um, and if you don't know him yet, you, you'll find this out quickly. He uh, was an officer on a nuclear submarine during the Cold War, and he is now CEO of a manufacturing company, a best-smelling author. He's also a best-selling author. No, he legit smells good, like uh, rich Corinthian leather and fine mahogany. And uh, he's got a new book coming out, which we're going to talk about. He is a good friend and colleague of mine. If you listen to my other podcast, which he would say, that's my podcast. Uh, he's my co-host. His name's John Rennie. John Rennie, welcome aboard. Hey, Coach Brew. How are you? Officer on deck. Sam Huck. <laughs> Did I do that right? At, at ease. At ease. <laughs> As you was before you is. Uh, did I do that right? Yeah, that was pretty good. You got, remember you that pipe. from the uh, the movie A Few Good Men. That's, that's ah, from. good movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've got some catching up to do, John. We do. Last, yes. Last time you were on this podcast, you weren't quite yet a best-selling author. You were just yes. a best-smelling author. Yes. Uh, of the book, I have the watch which I might add is available at IHaveTheWatch.com. If you haven't gotten a copy yet, it's, uh, it's those are your first marching orders today. Excellent. Yes. So you became a bestseller. And uh, I mean, I know the answer to this, but I'd rather them hear this from you um, because I don't want to stroke your ego any more than I already do with that introduction. Uh, how long was that on the Amazon bestseller list? I think at the That's end, we, we were 14 months on the Amazon uh, bestseller list uh, under the category leadership. So, um, yeah, so it was pretty, pretty good run for that book. It's still selling quite a bit, but I think nowadays. Two categories. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a bestseller under the category of leader and ship. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. awesome. It, it was impressive. Yes. So. But it wasn't like, uh, you know, whatever, Peru studies or some, it was a, you know, pretty good, pretty difficult category to, yeah. to do well in. So uh, we were- Shout out great. to Peruvian studies. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure they're great. I don't know. Yeah, fabulous. So no, I, I wanted you to share that because there are so many people who game the system and put a category, like they'll have a legitimate or what they believe is a legitimate leadership book. Uh, but they'll categorize it under like Peruvian studies or um, podiatry or right. know, animal husbandry and sell half a dozen copies and call themselves a best-selling author. And the fact that you earned it 
through your own, you know, merit in a legitimate category, but didn't just earn it for a month. It was there for, would you say how long? Yeah. 14 months. 14 months is crazy. It's wildly successful by any standard. So I just kind of want to set the stage with that. And then we will uh, take a deep dive. See what I just did there? Nuclear sub deep dive into <laughs> like a new it. book, all in the same boat, which is available at all in the same boat book.com. Yes. Um, you know, I, uh, I wrote the forward to, I have the watch. So I'd like to take a little bit of credit at least for, know, let's just say 13 of the 14 months. <laughs> that it was a bestseller, um, didn't write the forward to all in the same boat. Did somebody else write the forward? Is there a forward? Today, should, I be, should I feel slighted and offended that after getting you a bestseller for 13 of the 14 months, yes. I wasn't invited, automatically invited back to be uh, the forward writer, the writer of forward? <laughs> there is no forward to this book uh, as of yet. so much better now <laughs> as of yet. So the book is in pre-order right now. It's in final, uh, final review and production. It will be out by May 15th. So we're in pre-order right now. It's and, been time for uh, Mother's Day. Right, exactly. Yeah, that because you know, that's a big reading season, right? Mother's big Day. Big reading yeah. season for moms. Uh, right. You know, forget the mommy blogs and cookbooks and all that crap. Yeah. Uh, they're definitely, uh, they are a huge sub market for leadership books. Um, in, you know, about officers serving in nuclear subs, you know? Correct. So, yes. Yeah. They're really, like, they're really into, uh, you know, patriarchy driven, um, <laughs> military subgenres. Yes. So literally time for mother's day head on over to all in the same and get your mom grandma uh your neighbor's mom everyone's mom a copy yeah why not i think but seriously um, john uh you did ask me to endorse the book and i feel like <laughs> that is um you know i'm probably an okay author like maybe okay I don't think so. I think uh, but where I really shine is writing endorsements for other people's books. Yes. And that's like, if there were a superpower that I possessed. It's that. Uh, I remember writing an endorsement for uh, my friend, Dr. Rob Bell's book. Um, it was called, it's called Don't Should on Your Kids. And it's a, uh, he's a sports psychologist who wrote a book uh, about how to be a sports parent. Because so many parents like should on their kids, like you should do this, you should do that, right, you shouldn't right. do this. Yeah. So um, he asked me to endorse it, and there's an entire chapter on the evils of participation trophies. <laughs> so my endorsement was, if you read this book, I will send you a participation trophy. <laughs> if you read the whole book, that's what it yeah. was. If you read this from start <clears throat> to finish, I'll send you a participation trophy. And I was just joking with him. Yeah. He said, Hey, can you endorse my book? I just sent him that as a goof. He's like, that's perfect. I love it. <laughs> I'm like, he's serious. I wasn't, yeah. he is. So, um, 
you asked me to endorse it. Yes. And I just decided that um, I, I would channel that creative side of my personality. So uh, for those of you who um, haven't immediately rushed on over to allinsaneboatbook.com and bought a bunch of copies yet, and you're still on the fence, I'll put it to you this way. My endorsement of this book, which is fabulous, it's the classic. book, not the endorsement, uh, it's, is that the movie Titanic would have had a happy ending if Rose and what was the guy's name? Jack. Jack and Rose, Leonardo DiCaprio, um, would have read All in the Same Boat. (laughs) Yes, that's perfect, uh, Coach Brew. That is going in the book because uh, it is uniquely you. And uh, (laughs) it is very true. And everybody knows that Jack uh, could have lived. And there was plenty of room on that piece of debris. But was it like a door? Was it a door? door? the top of a door piece or something yeah yeah so like everybody knows like you can fit two people side by side on the door come yeah. on now yeah. they could have been all on the same boat but instead well all on the same float the, you know, the, yeah. the options are endless yeah, yeah absolutely but in all seriousness it is a great book uh right when i thought you couldn't top the first one you went and outdid yourself tell us a little bit about like kind of uh how long this is in the works Hmm. Um, what the genesis of it was, what I find most interesting, uh, often isn't just like the contents of a book. It's the backstory. Uh, What I find most interesting about songs isn't the music. It's the story behind the song And, and same thing with movies, like these things that entertain us. It's often the backstory. that's more fun. And so, like, you get to find out, you know, give me the backstory behind the movie The Fugitive. Oh, remember when uh, Harrison Ford's running away from Tommy Lee Jones' character uh, in that enormous, uh, like, uh, sewer drain? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he gets to the end right before he jumps, and he says, I didn't kill my wife. What's? Do you remember what Tommy Lee said? No. He just looked at him and he said, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, and that's then Harrison right. Ford yeah. jumped. Those totally ad-libbed. He was not supposed to say, I don't care. But as like they're running through that scene, he and he's like remembering what he's supposed to say. He's like, you know what? The lines in that script kind of suck. I'm just gonna uh-huh. throw something different out there. And that was like one of the most iconic scenes of that movie, and it was ad-libbed. And just to get the story behind that, it's really cool. So I want to get the story behind. Sure. All in the same boat. You know, I, I uh, probably about eight years ago, I started writing leadership articles. You know, I, you know, it was a point in my career. I'd done 22 years in corporate America. I did five years in the military. So I just felt like, you know, after seeing so many crappy managers in corporate America, I thought, well, maybe I'll start sharing some leadership thoughts. And I started writing a blog and starting writing articles on a couple of different websites. Um, and then, you know, uh, that was just about the time that LinkedIn started coming out with your article that you could write long, long, long prose yeah. articles in uh, on LinkedIn. And I wrote one article way back when called um, 10 Things I Learned Living and Leading on a Nuclear Submarine. That was the article. And um, it had, uh, I mean, it just went all over the world, that one particular article. Uh, it was 150,000 people shared it, liked it, uh, spread all so, over the place. And so I was like, the sub. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
so it went all over the place and um yeah and so that was you know and i kind of wrote many other articles but that one really had a lot of popularity yeah and uh, i thought to myself well maybe you know i should expand that a little bit other than just one article but uh, you know maybe the like why i think the way i think or how did i you know where did these ideas come from for that article which was this 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 these five years of experience I had, you know, under the ocean really set the foundation for my leadership principles I live by today. So uh, then about uh, about two and a half years ago, I started writing the what is all in the same uh, boat right now. Um, yeah, so, so that's art, you know, article like items, the 10 things and the art items yeah. became chapters. I imagine. Yeah, they became, yeah, they yeah. eventually became chapters in the book. I ended up, um, consolidating a couple of chapters. So there's really just eight chapters in the book. So I don't have the, quite the 10, uh, and, um, Go, but, you know, government budget cuts, you got to do more with less. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other side of it was, it was getting kind of long, so I didn't want it to go too long. So the book is about 250 pages. So uh, that's about um, where people lose their attention span. So I want to try to keep it consolidated. So I consolidated a few of the ideas into, into uh, two of the chapters I consolidated away, but, but it's eight chapters. And, and what's great about the book is it's stories. It's all stories. It's yeah. filled with every one of the chapters has uh, at least four or five stories from my days on the submarine. And then it has two stories from my days leading businesses, because I also led, you know, nine manufacturing businesses throughout my career after I got out of the military. So I, so it, you can see the parallels between um, what I learned on the boat, and then what I learned, uh, and how I applied that in the business world. So it's, it's not so much a submarine book. But you know, if you're interested in the submarine genre, or, you know, what happens on submarines, this is a kind of an interesting book, you, you'll get kind of an insider look at, at submarines. But it's a leadership book, so it's it's pulling those ideas and those concepts and showing how they actually apply in the business world as well. So, you, so what you're telling us is it's a coffee table book with a lot of pictures about submarines. I guess <laughs> there's not even any pictures in it. I think the only picture will be a picture of me in the back on the back yep. page or something. So, <laughs> I love the fact that it's all story based because number one, that's how we learn. That's how we've learned since the yeah. beginning of time. You know, cavemen drew murals that told stories on the walls of the cave. Like here's how to avoid being eaten by a saber toothed tiger. Like yeah. it's just how our brains are wired, but also, you know, there's so much, um, there's so much bullshit and, and jargon yeah. and fluff out there in the leadership space, you know, management consulting, blah, 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 that like, it's, it's all theory and, and no practice. Yeah. Whereas like yours is real and it's based on real experience and it's something that you can, the reader, you, the reader, can apply the minute you get done turning the page on that chapter. If, say, you're reading a chapter on your lunch hour and then you're about to go lead a staff meeting. Yeah. You can apply that skill, that hard skill or soft skill, immediately. It's right. not just a bunch of theory and fluff. And that's what people are looking for because there are just so many bad books out there that are written by people who are basically taking the approach of here you go try this this and this let me know if it works then maybe i'll do it right right yeah, yeah. no this is this is real world this these mm -hmm. are these are events that really happen now you know i changed the name to protect the innocent and the other side is, is i have a disclaimer that i'm old now and i was young when i served on the boat so it's my best memory of the situation sure. as i remembered it and, and re have remembered it uh, over the years 
And, and uh, when you change names to protect the innocent, what that also <laughs> affords you the opportunity to do is take a little creative license. Yes. Yeah. I may have a little, I may have put some of my, some people that I, you might see some names in there that I, that I have as people, my rivals in the world might, might come up in a name so or two. <laughs> so. Perfect. There is uh, one chapter that I love. It's called run your ship like a captain. Hmm. Um, and there is a story there um, that just um, by the very description that I share with you, it just makes me giggle no matter how hard I try not to. There's a story in there about a young seaman. Yes. And I can't say that without giggling and, and you know, can't keep a straight face. Um, can you tease the story a little bit? without giving too much of it away can we talk about that or what what can you tell us because i just think that is um yeah it, it's 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 funny it's fun it's exciting but there's also a moral to the story and if you really work in is. training and development in any kind of company this is going to resonate can we yeah. talk a little bit about that yeah, I want. Uh, uh, yeah, so the, the, it's it's uh, this chapter is called "Run Your Ship Like a Captain," and um, one of the things that's really unique about a captain of a submarine is just is almost like a, a college uh, sports coach, like similar to what you were in your past career. In that, every time we went on deployment, every time we went on patrol, we had and we came back, we had a shift of the crew. So you had a lot of people leave, and it could be senior people. Uh, and then you have a lot of like junior people or different, different you, you fill in all the slots. Yeah. And so you would have all these about 30% turnover every, every patrol. But the captain's responsibility, just like a coach's responsibility, is to train up the new people, make sure they knew what they were doing. And, um, you know, make sure that uh, they weren't a liability to the operation. Uh, and one of the reasons I call the book All in the Same Boat is that we were all in it together. Right. Um, there, there, you know, there wasn't a lot of special privileges on a submarine. There wasn't a lot of space. Right. So it didn't matter if an officer or senior enlisted, junior enlisted, we were all in it together. And even the most junior, junior sailor could turn the wrong valve and, and cause us all to die or, or make the wrong decision or do the wrong thing on the fair water planes. And all of us are gone. Right. So we had to make sure that even the most junior person could do their job. You know, and that's part of what we did. We trained, we drilled, we, we, we did a lot of repetitive things to make sure that it was like muscle memory, knew exactly what to do at any point in time, just like you do with a sports team with drills and practices and running plays and until it, to became, until it became automatic. And this is the way it was. Train the so, way you fight, fight the way you train. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, one of the stories I tell in the book is, again, a young seaman uh, just came to the boat. And uh, we were out in the middle of the deployment. I was, uh, I was relatively senior at that point. I was actually what they call a, uh, a drill monitor. So I helped run the various casualty drills and events on the, on the boat. And I would take notes as to, you know, make sure the sailors were doing everything they were do supposed to be doing, the officers doing what they were supposed to be doing. And we run, ran this one drill, which uh, simulates that there's somebody on the boat that has gone rogue. And they're in the missile compartment and they're damaging equipment. So that's the way the drill is run. And uh, it's called a disaffected crew member. And we're supposed to, there's a certain, you know, we go find that person and apprehend them. But one of the parts of the drill is that we secure all that we, we, we close and we dog all the hatches. Dog just means you lock that hatch. And, you know, on one of the, on a the submarine, these are these big round, probably uh, five foot 
you know, diameter doors that we go in and out of. And, and so I was watching this young seaman, he locked the door. Of course, he was issued a shotgun where we issue small arms when things like that happen. So okay. he has a shotgun on, he's dogged the door and his job is to make sure nobody passes through that door. So my nobody. job was to, nobody. So my job was to observe this young seaman, the youngest person on the boat to see how he does uh, in this drill scenario and uh, to see how his training is. Right. And so, um, you know, the first person that comes to that door just so happens to be the captain. The captain was walking around the ship. So this is the most senior person on board the boat. And this is a very intimidating man. He's, he's large. He was larger than life. He was, he was a screamer. I mean, he was a, he was a tough guy and uh, he comes and he knocks on the, on the door. Well, the young seaman doesn't even look to see who it is. He just, he just yells out, go around. All right. So I'm watching this. I said, okay, well, he did the right thing. I'm writing in my notebook. He did the right thing. So young seaman's doing the right thing. Good, good job. He did good first test. And then bang, 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 bang. The captain bangs on it a little louder. And of course, at this point, he looks into the hatch. He's looking, there's a little tiny six, six yeah. inch uh, window and he looks through. And the only thing you see is the captain's eyeball and these bushy eyebrows he had, right? And I start laughing because I'm thinking, oh shoot, I know what's about to happen, right? This young seaman doesn't realize it's the captain on the other side of that door. And the young seaman says, go around. I'm like, oh, all right, he's doing his job. And then the captain, bam, 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 as loud as you could bleed. By the way, can I swear on this podcast? Uh, I said shit earlier, so yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> bang, 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 bang. The captain's banging on this thing, and the young seaman didn't even look in the window, nothing. He just said, go around, motherfucker. And he stood his ground, and he had no idea that the 06, the captain, the, the, the man who runs this, this warship, was on the other side, of dog, uh, yep. other side of that dog door, and he wouldn't let him through. But that was an example of the training that he was. He did his training exactly what yep. he what he was supposed to do, even though the captain was on the other side of that door. And that that you know it was just one of those moments that was funny, but it was also showed an example of how uh, effective the training was. This young kid, just new to the boat, knew exactly what to do in that scenario, and he wouldn't let even the, even the captain through. So, what was the captain's reaction after that? So this is kind of neat. I tell it in the story that the captain actually sought him out later on, not not in the moment. He was still angry, but later on he he yeah. sought out this young guy and he told him that he did his job and he's proud of him that he uh, that he did exactly what he was supposed to do. And and he said, "You're not awesome. to let anyone through that, including me. You did your job." So that's kind of a neat story, but um, just one of those funny things like, you know, when you see a young young person standing their ground, they have no idea what's on the other side of that door. So. Um, and uh, so the, the, the book is filled with stories like that, that uh, give you a sense of what life was like out there, but also about how, how we trained, how we operated yeah. so that we could, um, we could safely get home. I mean, we could do our mission and we could, we could all, all of us, hundred percent of us return home safely. Uh, it, it just, it's a uh, great reminder to me of the fact that like the world would be a better place organizations, teams, departments would be a better place if more companies, more institutions uh, literally kind of ran their ship like a captain. Yeah. More institutions invested in training in that way because there's attention to detail 
and accountability at a level that's probably unparalleled anywhere else. Like you said, someone turns the wrong knob or pulls the wrong lever, we all die. Right. You know? Right. Um, uh, whereas, you know, like in, in most corporations, training is a box you check. Yeah, mm -hmm. we watched the sexual harassment video HR sent us. Check that box. Right. They weren't really paying attention, but they allegedly watched the video uh, or training is just boring. It's not hands on. And you know, that's the thing in the military and sports, everything's hands on. Everything's, yep. you know, kinesthetic. Um, you're doing, you're not checking boxes. You're actually doing. Yep. And um, it's just a, a great reminder. Yeah, in the book, I talk about the fact that the, that the captain was always pressure testing us. He was always pressure testing us to make sure that we could do what we had to do when the chips were all down. You know, when we, you know, when we had a, an enemy sub that was within range, when we had a surface ship that was nearby, when we had a real casualty, we knew exactly what to do and how to do it because he pressure test us all the time. I tell another story in the book where I was just qualified as engineering officer of the watch, and that's the the officer in charge of the entire engine room. Now that sounds kind of, okay, just an engine room. No, I, I should mention that there's, there's a nuclear reactor back there. So it's the officer in charge of an operating nuclear power plant at sea, right? So I, it took me a while, maybe six months or so, I finally qualified as engineering officer of the watch. And, and um, so I took my first watch, took over the watch, and uh, that means I'm responsible for everything in the engine room. And I'm in this small room called maneuvering. And I had myself, I have a throttleman, a reactor operator, an electrical operator, and the four of us operated the nuclear power plant and the entire engine room. So I'm staying to watch for about two hours. It's a six hour watch. And then all of a sudden over the one MC, which is like the ship's loudspeaker, the captain says to the entire crew, I just want to congratulate, uh, uh, I think it was an ensign at the time, Ensign John Rennie for, uh, for qualifying as the newest engineering officer of the watch. He's, you know, and he, he said some really nice things about me about, you know, he, he's really studied hard. He really knows what he's doing. And then he says, and Mr. Rennie, take care of my, uh, my reactor. And as soon as he said that they ran a drill on me where they, they scrammed the reactor, all the rods hit the bottom at the same time. And every alarm and maneuvering went off at the same time. And, and it was pure chaos. And as that was happening, he had sent the ship's photographer around the corner to take a picture of my face right when all the control rods hit the bottom of the reactor. And, um, you know, and, and he was pressure testing me. It was just like, one, he complimented me for, you know, and he let the entire crew know that I was qualified and I was capable. And then he to said- To kind of get you to, to let your guard down a little bit. And then he, yeah. and then he, then he said, and prove to me that you know how to take care of my reactor. And, uh, and of course I did. And, uh, but then, you know, the icing on the cake was the picture that he it was a Polaroid camera. And then he was taking it around showing everybody, Hey, look at Rennie's face in the middle of this thing. But it was also, it was also part of the initiation to the club that, you know, he, that picture was something that he passed around to the other officers and said, look, Rennie's qualified. Look at him. You know, you remember when you, he went through this now, Rennie has gone through this now he's initiated. So he's part of the club. So once you became qualified, once you became, you know, the captain could depend on you, could trust you, you became part of the club, you became qualified, you became an important part of the team. And so I think he did a really good job to, to embrace us once we did become qualified and become part of that team. Yeah. Uh, 
you know what I love about that story is the fact that you just gave me the idea. I mean, it's a great story, but it's the fact that you just gave me an idea for a new segment of the podcast, John. Oh, what's that? So I'm going to run this on you right now. Okay. <laughs> it's a great book. I want everyone in my audience to congratulate John on achieving this distinction of, uh, you know, publishing his second book after making his first one the bestseller. So now like your guards down, making you feel good and we're going to pressure test you. All right. Okay. So, um, we're going to ask you a couple questions. Um, this is the pressure test. All right. What, and maybe these are two different answers. What was, what was like the most dangerous situation or the uh, scariest? And they might be this one yeah. same or two different answers or scariest situation. Yeah. Uh, my first career under, you know, how are, how many feet underwater were you like 500 feet? Uh, yeah. I'm, fair, I'm careful to talk about that, but I think uh, in excess of 800 feet. So okay. yeah. Yeah, but it's uh, it's it's classified how deep we go. But um, we we typically operated in you know if you think about the Atlantic being is almost as deep as uh, Mount Everest is tall. We operated in the the shallowest part of the water stream, right? But gotcha. but the depths of hell were below us, right? So anything mm -hmm. goes wrong, you're going down and you're not coming back up, right? So but we did operate fairly shallow because if you think about it strategically, we just had to get away from you know, the prying eyes of other ships and airplanes yeah. and things like that. So we didn't have to go too deep. But uh, my first patrol was operating in the North Atlantic in winter. And, um, you know, I think I always thought like, well, as a submarine, you get down deep enough, you're not going to feel the waves. Well, not in the North Atlantic. We were down 200 feet in the ocean and we were taking rolls, 30 degree rolls back and forth. I mean, it was just brutal. And this was about uh, 14 days we were in this storm. And uh, I was the junior officer deck and had to take the ship to periscope depth. And we did uh, what's called a snorkel evolution where we run our diesel generator. And uh, the, the, just, we just got beaten and battered and, 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 and just, it was just, it was a rough for everybody. I mean, everybody in the ship was sick. Uh, and during that snorkeling operation, as we ran the, uh, ran the diesel generator, they have the thing called a head valve. Right. And so it's kind of a cool thing. It's a little stubby mass that sticks up and that's actually your input, your uh, intake and your exhaust for your for your diesel generator. Well, it has a little thing on the top where if it ever gets water over that mast, it, it shuts those valves so you don't get water inside the diesel. Well, as it turns out, I didn't know this at the time, but when that valve shuts, it starts sucking air from the submarine to run the diesel and then the exhaust ports into the submarine, the people space. So as we bobbed up there for about 15 minutes at uh, trying to run the diesel, um, I mean, it was, we were bouncing all over the place. We were just, you know, your body getting thrown around. By the time we went back down below periscope depth, I mean, they turned the lights on and it was just, everybody was just beaten, tired, exhausted uh, because the, we were trying to keep the ship at periscope depth and the wave action kept trying to draw it to the surface and what's called broaching. And so it was a hard work to keep it at one level. And just getting beaten, battered, and then when when the lights came on, the whole the whole control room was filled with diesel exhaust. So it was just like, and you know, you're you're nauseous already, and then it's, it's like a smoke filled room, and yeah. you're just. And it, what's interesting about that time in the North Atlantic in, in the in the winter time is that that was like the like the high water mark for me. Like I got through that, and nothing I did after that point was ever as difficult as as that one day, that one. Those those fourteen days in the winter, but also that one watch, and it became like it a high watermark. Very uh, unexpected pressure test of sorts. 
It is. It was. And, yeah. and I think after after going through that, I kept thinking to myself, you know, you know, at least it's not as bad as that day I went to Periscope yeah. Depth in the winter Atlantic. So it became like the like, oh, whatever I whatever I did the rest of my time on board was never as hard as what happened that day and how difficult it was and how, uh, you know, how stressful it was. And so it gave me a perspective and it made life a little bit easier for me because I'd been through, you know, kind of the worst of it. And the rest of my time, I never faced that kind of challenge again. And in the story, in the book, I tell the story that my grandfather was actually a World War II, uh, he, he served on a destroyer escort. And um, it's kind of funny because his story parallels mine because I was a 23-year-old sailor during that winter storm. And he was a 23-year-old sailor in World War II. He, uh, and he was in a very large battle uh, in what was called Operation Teardrop. Uh, and it was in the North Atlantic in the middle of a really bad um, winter storm. Yeah. And uh, they ended up sinking two German U-boats. It, it was a really tough battle. So the parallels between his life and what I ended up doing two generations later was very interesting. And I tell both our stories in the book because I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, shout out to Germany. You guys lost. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, what you mentioned the... Uh, the North Atlantic and yeah. that sort of pressure test. Um, when I think of the North Atlantic, I think of uh, like the Northern right whales that sort of migrate. Yeah. Yeah. And um, are, are often at least up here, like going from the Canadian Maritimes down through Maine, Cape Cod are in like the shipping lanes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just wondering like, what's the weirdest thing you ever saw at sea? Or underwaterish. Uh, well, Would it be called at sea, even though you're not at sea, you're under or in? Yeah, no, we call it. We say it at sea. Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's just there's a lot of debris in the in the ocean. Uh. You know, it's funny because we all just watched uh, that uh, container ship get stuck in the Suez Canal, and I've seen those containers floating uh, by themselves in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, uh, where wow. they had fallen off a ship and. And that there's bobbing there in the surface. And actually, that's a big wor worry for us as a submariner, because if your periscope hits that container as you're at periscope depth, you could snap off the, uh, the, the periscope. It's a very dangerous situation. So we always are looking for the like debris, uh, like trees, telephone poles, just random things that are quiet that are still sitting in the ocean. So I think probably that's the weirdest thing. Um, Does that all show up on uh, your sonar? Is it sonar or radar? Sonar. Uh, so under the water, it's sonar. Yeah. yeah. We do use radar when we're on the surface. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, is that? No, it doesn't show up. That's what's so dangerous about it. So anything that's small. quiet. Yeah, exactly. So uh, one thing is kind of interesting. I tell the story about uh, we get... Um, some of the areas we operated, uh, supposedly mostly in the south, we would come up on the surface and we would run on the surface for a while at night and the flying fish would uh, be afraid of the submarine because they think it's a predator and they would jump and they'd fly around. And sometimes you'd get up, you get up to take the watch in the morning and there'd be just hundreds of dead flying fish on the back of the uh, submarine. And, uh, and in one story, I tell, tell how we... Uh, we had some inspectors on the boat we didn't like too well, and some of the crew actually filled their luggage up with those dead fish as one of the as a, as kind of a thank you for giving us a hard time on the inspection. So uh, that's kind of a fun story. I tell a lot of fun stories in in uh, in the in the uh, book, just to kind yeah, of give I you imagine sense there's that, a lot of like sophomore humor and hijinks that goes on when you're uh, in a submarine with like however many other uh, it know, is a couple hundred yeah. other dudes. 
Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. There's, 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 there's a lot of humor. I mean, I talk about the, the crew. I mean, you know, it, it was always, there was, there was, you know, it was almost like a, like a sports team, I would think is a good analogy. There was a lot of uh, smack talk. There was a lot of uh, pranks. There was a lot of uh, humor. Um, we had one officer that, uh, you know, we call, call battle stations and everybody had to jump out of that rack and everybody had their, their hair was all crazy. And, and uh, he would commentate on everybody coming up the ladder control. He, he's like, Oh, dude, I don't think you're going to make it. And uh, if you had like been sleeping on a pillow, you know, to have one of those yeah. like, creases across your face, he call them rack burns. And he's like, dude, you got a rack burn. He said, you're burning up. I don't think you're going to make it dude." you know, and, and, and it was just one of those things he was testing you, you know, and yep. if you, if you showed any weakness, it was just, he was on you, you know, but that sure. was just the way it was. And, uh, and it was probably a New Yorker. Yeah, no, I don't think he was, but the point being is he, it was always testing and trial and they wanted to see if you, yep. if you had thick skin, I mean, they want to see if you could withstand, you know, uh, uh, you know, can you handle a joke? Can you laugh at yourself? And that was one of the lessons in the book I talk about is just, you know, learning how to just roll with, the punches and you being able to laugh at yourself and uh, not take yeah, in a situation like that. You better not take yourself too seriously. Yeah. 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 So I think there's, it's some good stories in the book, but there's a lot of camaraderie. We were, we were, you know, we were, we were very tight and we had to be, I mean, we were, we were there for almost three months together. Uh, no one left, no one came on three months, you know, out at sea. So what, what was the, um, let me uh, set the table for this a little bit here, John. All right. Um, and so number one, I think that as a society today, we have gotten so comfortable. Like we, uh, you know, even, even the poorest of poor live a uh, level of comfort and luxury that's probably unparalleled compared to past generations. Yes. You know, you're not... Uh, you know, you're not carrying water, you know, from outdoors uphill in a foot of snow into your home. Like my father had to do as a kid growing up right. on dirt floors, literally, you know, yep. um, you, you, you probably have running water in most cases. And, um, you know, we've got the uh, internet, which has turned the world into like, no one has any concept, like delayed instant gratification takes too long. Right, right. Like, we've gotten so comfortable and um, we're fighting kind of, you know, what's really an invisible war, you know, since 9-11, it's been an invisible war. It's, um, you know, largely been, you know, um, well, it's been a long, like people, it's been so long. People don't realize we, you know, we actually are still at war. Right. You know, there's a war on terror. Right. Um, but it's kind of an invisible enemy, which makes you forget. I think that, you know, the general you, most of our population forget that, like, oh yeah, we're at war. Or they don't realize like China's the enemy, Russia's the enemy, but it's cyber terrorism. It's, you yeah. know, they're not going to show up on our shore and jump out of a couple of boats and start shooting. You know, they're going to attack our electrical grid. You know, mm. they're going to attack our um, infrastructure and technology and, you know, Russian bots doing things on social media to create this division. It's um, people think like, Oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. If you believe that, no, I'm a realist and that's mm. what's going on. 
Right. You know, um, so it's just changed so much and we've gotten so comfortable because you don't see the face of an enemy like we saw uh, years ago and generations ago. Um, during the Cold War, what was the uh, kind of the the scariest reality for all of you? Like, this could take a really ugly turn that would yeah. have global ramifications and not end well for anybody. Yeah, I think the probably the biggest scare, you know, I mean, we were on, we we carried, you know, um, very destructive weapons on board. Um, we were part of the strategic deterrence for protecting the country in the case of a nuclear war, essentially. Um, so the nice thing about, if you want to call it a nice thing about the Cold War, is that you had two nation states that had pointed very serious weapons at each other, and those weapons kept the peace, right? People, nobody, yeah. everybody knew what would happen if, if you started releasing those weapons. So those weapons in a way kept, kept the peace. And that's what I did in my career. But I think what one thing that was scary was, um, you know, my, is that I saw the end of the end of the cold war, why I was a submariner. So we saw there was a major coup uh, that happened in Russia. Uh, and there was a time and I, when I was deployed that we didn't know who had control over the nuclear arsenal in Moscow uh, during that coup. And that got a little, a little shaky because, you know, you train, you know, you're, you know, the destructive capabilities of the, of the warship you're on you, but you also know that we've had 40 years of history where we haven't used them. Right. Yeah. So you think that, all right, it's not going to happen on my watch. I'm never going to have to deploy these things. You know, they're there. They're just guns pointed at each other and no one's going to fire. Right. But when you don't know who's got control of the, you know, I don't know if they have a football like we have uh, in the nuclear football. Yeah. I don't know. We didn't know who had it, you know, and at that point you get a little nervous about what could possibly happen. So I think that probably that patrol, I was probably the most nervous, like, Oh shoot. Like if I have to, you know, do it. Will I do it? You know, will I, because we were just an extension of the president. The president yeah. said launch, we launched. I mean, we were just an extension of him, but, um, but yeah. And our I mean, button's bigger than yours, by the way. And it actually works. Yeah. Yeah. So you, know, you didn't have the benefit of like the leader of another country tweeting to the leader of our country. Like, right. Right. Yeah. So is this I've got a button too? Like, yeah. But ours is bigger and it actually works. Right. Might be the greatest line of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So we didn't no, have Twitter. We didn't have Twitter back in the day, sadly. Yeah, so there's no clear cut <laughs> knowledge of that. It's just so interesting. Yeah, but I think that's probably the one area that I was. It was a little bit kind of. I was uh, deployed during the first Desert Storm, but you know, from uh, for the for what our boat's capability was, we didn't really get involved too much with that. But when during the coup in Russia, that got. You know, when we started hearing there were tanks like firing on parliament or whatever they call Russia, but, you know, it was just, holy cow, <laughs> like, yeah. um, what, yeah. So anyways, it got us all thinking, what do we have to use these? So, yeah. And that, I mean, it's not that long ago. No, it's not. No, yeah. I'm not that old. I'm, I'm a young man. Yeah. No, no, seriously. Like, when you think about it, it's really not that long ago, but it's so far from most people's memories. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I, I, the reason I bring that up is I think we need to be reminded of that. Like the, yeah. the game's changed, but you know, we're still very much, you know, in, um, if you want to call it a game, a game like that. And yeah. I, I, I was on a podcast. It was, it was hosted by a young millennial and he actually, he said, Oh, it says here, you're, you're a cold war submarine or what is the cold war? What is that? What does that mean? And I was like, what? <laughs> it just means I was stationed in the Arctic. Right. Right. So yeah, I think, yeah. but you know, you say yeah. it's not that long ago, but I think the people have forgotten about, you know, that period of time after world war two until really, uh, 1991 or so 92. Um, it's a shame. We don't teach civics and history anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's one of those things. I was just shocked yeah. at the question. I was like, wait, what? You don't know what the cold war is. Well, I heard about something on a video game once and I was like, Oh shoot. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's just like Fortnite. <laughs> it's just, just like Fortnite, but I was underwater kid. That's it. Right. Yeah. That's Fortnite. Yeah. And the dances. Yeah. Uh, I, Fear for the future. <laughs> 20 years, our country is going to folks in 20 years. Our country is going to be led by a group of kids who are homeschooled by day drinking parents. Think about that. Yes. Yeah. As you know, uh, the, the pandemic winds down uh, so or true. so we hope um, th that might be the repercussions, but I want to encourage everyone to go get a copy of the book all in the same boat book dot com. While you're there, if you haven't already purchased a copy of I Have the Watch, pick up a copy of that too. Now, the cool thing about what John's doing with his book launch is um, fabulous prizes. Yeah. You're, you're, you're having a contest and yes. it's some of the coolest stuff I've ever seen given away in a book launch. Yeah. Tell Why us not? about it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. And, and I was inspired by your late, latest book launch. You did uh, Beyond Stadium Status, which I love that book, by the way. And if you haven't purchased Beyond Stadium Status yet, I encourage you to pick it up. It's one of my favorites. Um, and it, I, I love Stadium Status. And this, the sequel was, uh, was just as good, if not better, than that. So uh, Sequels I, usually are. You know, like New Coke is better than Coke, right? Wait, no. Alvin and the Chipmunks, the squeakquel. Best Chipmunks movie, right? I never, never the saw it. The sequels are usually better than the original. Right. So I have high expectations for all in the same boat. Yes. <laughs> well, so what are, what, what's the contest? How do people enter? How do they win? Yeah, it's real simple. So we're in the, we're in the pre-order right now for the book and we're going to run uh, pre-order up until uh, May 15th. And so if you order a book uh, anytime during the pre-order period, even if you've already ordered a book, um, you are eligible for a drawing that'll occur during our uh, book launch, our live book launch. We'll do that on live Instagram and Facebook. We'll do that May 15th timeframe. We'll announce that shortly. But um, every book you purchase during the time gives you a ticket uh, for the drawing. And our first, uh, our grand prize is this really amazing, beautiful hand-carved American uh, wooden flag that uh, my friends at Sasquatch Flag Company uh, have made, and it's gorgeous. And He's it's one of those real, things. and he makes flags, folks. Sasquatch is real. Sasquatch isn't real. <laughs> we have proof, and that proves John Rennie. You saw yes. him in the Periscope somewhere uh, while you were patrolling in the Pacific Northwest. Right, you guys we saw him. And here we are. You're retired from the military service, and you got the you got the guy making flags for you. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's it's uh it's one of the things I'd I'd want in my office. I do not have one. Eventually, I'll have one of my own. But this one, we're going to be giving it away. 
We got things like coffee from Bottom Gun Coffee, coffee mugs from Code of Vets, bourbon glasses from my friends at Sailors and Sticks. I've got these challenge coins that actually are bottle openers uh, from my friends at Test Depth. And then we actually you have- had me at, uh, You had me at bourbon glasses. <laughs> I know, exactly. But then uh, Coach Brew uh, is, is, is offered up. We've got 50 winners will get uh, uh, John Brubaker's book called The Coach Approach. And that'll be one of the uh, prizes we give out on May 15th. So anyone that orders the book, uh, in the pre-order uh, period, gets a chance for the drawing, and so the you know it's a good chance you'll win. A lot of winners in this uh, this drawing we're doing. I think it's just something to do to make it a little more fun. And um, I've got a lot of friends at these different companies, so um, you know they're going to help me. I'm going to help them. We'll get their name out. They'll get my name out. So it's just we'll work together on this. So, so I'm kind of like the consolation prize. No, you're the you're the, you. I got fifty. I have fifty books to give away. I think it's tell what he's won, Bob. Well, he didn't win the brand new Cadillac or the vacation to Tahiti, but he's won a copy of John Brubaker's book, The Coach Approach, Success Strategies from the Locker Room to the Boardroom. You could resell it on eBay for $5.99. Yes. So My wife would tell you I am the consolation prize, John. So, I mean, you could try and like stroke my ego and try and refute that all you want, massage it not happening i'm the consolation yeah. prize and this contest is proof you can win the flag <laughs> bourbon glasses challenge coin bottle opener um coffee or the coach approach by john yes well it's uh the nice thing about uh your gift is that there's gonna be 50 people gonna win it so a lot of people are like the walk. participation trophy <laughs> everybody wins <laughs> No, everybody's not going to win because we've already, we've already sold more books than prizes already. So, well, Sweet. So. Uh, that flag is awesome. If you've never seen these hand carved wooden American flags, yeah. uh, they're phenomenal. Uh, Sasquatch. It's mm-hmm. not really his name. It's not really Sasquatch. You know, no. sa- the real Sasquatch is busy, you know, hiding from Sasquatch hunters. But uh, Sasquatch Flag Company, it does amazing work. I was just on their site. Uh, he's got a cool Instagram as well. And yeah. uh, it's just an awesome prize to win. I think everybody ought to have one of them hanging in their, their yeah. office or their, their den or their man cave. So yeah. that'll be really cool for somebody. Yeah. I just thought we'd do something to, to um, you know, I, I've got a lot of friends that, um, you know, different industries, different companies, and uh, I wanted to try to feature them and they could feature me. So it's kind of win-win. We help each other out. So um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And it also makes it, you know, it makes it fun for the author when you're launching something, you have a contest and yeah, yeah it creates a little buzz around it. And, you know, we, uh, we spend so much time marketing and promoting. It's just kind of fun when we get to do something novel and cool like that. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm pretty, pretty happy with that. And um, so I'm, I'm excited that we can do something a little bit different on this book launch, but um, yeah, so far the, the sales have been, Incredible. Um, you know, as far as in the pre-order period, we've had sales to uh, Australia, we've had New Zealand, we've had India, we've had um, Canada. It's another country, right? North. It's like America Junior, I call it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. America Junior. America's hat. I, I, th- I think of it as like your attic. Like you, you forget it's up there, but sometimes you go up and you're like, oh, there's some cool things up here. We just throw like all of our crap up there. <laughs> <laughs> and in return for punishment, they sent us Justin Bieber and Nickelback. 
I know. So I think we kind of got screwed in that deal. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually sold uh, sold one into Russia. It's going to Moscow. And it was like, oh, shoot. I wonder what I said about the Soviets in this book. You know, maybe think twice about maybe. But um, I'm sure they'll appreciate the historic nature of the book. So, but somebody in Russia. He had a chance of winning vodka glasses. Right, exactly. No, there's no vodka glasses at all. So. <laughs> That's awesome, John. I'm really glad you came on. Uh, we didn't even get to the McKinley story. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, there's but, a good story about. So, um, like, I, yeah. I think people need to buy the book. The McKinley story alone will be yeah. worth the price of admission, folks. Trust oh, me. Yeah. And I will make this offer as I do. I don't do this for everybody. I do this for my good colleagues who I know do quality work and are incredible writers who actually uh, practice what they preach. Uh, I, I make the following offer. If you buy the book and are not 110% satisfied with your purchase, I will personally buy it back from you. I will buy your copy back from you. So uh, if you buy a copy of John's book and you're not happy, I'll pay you cash for it. I'll send you your 20 bucks, you know, <laughs> awesome. um, and I say that because anytime I've ever done that, I've never had anyone complain or uh, ask me to buy the book back. I did that with I Have the Watch, done that with our buddy Dr. Rob Bell's books, yep. and um, extending that same offer because, you know, they're, uh, yeah, we live in a uh, society that I think the, the trust level of the public of anything, each other, uh, the marketplace, anything has never been lower. Right. So, you know, I want to uh, endorse and support things that I know my audience and my people really will value, enjoy, and get a lot of benefit from. And uh, I want to encourage you to, to uh, take my word for it, because if Jack and Rose would have read All in the Same Boat, Titanic would have had a happy ending. Yeah. It wouldn't have been uh, Celine Dion uh, that song at the end of the movie, it would have been like cool in the gang. Right. Yeah. Celebrate <laughs> or something. Right. Cool I'll stop singing now. I'll stop singing. <laughs> Head on over to all same boat book.com. The link will be in the show notes. Everything you need to know about this podcast in this episode and John Rennie and John Brubaker will be in the show notes down there. Um, and yeah, you get your marching orders, sailor, go by the book, John closing, uh, closing words. I'm going to let you take us out of here. No pressure, no pressure, pressure test. You get to end the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening in, uh, buy the book, um, get a, get, uh, be part of this drawing that we're going to have on May 15th. This will be the most interesting book you'll you'll read in 2021 when it comes to a leadership book. I guarantee it. Um, it's 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 definitely full of stories. If you have any curiosity of what life is like under the ocean, this is a great book. If you want to know how those translates into running a business, leading a business, you're going to love this book. So go buy it and uh, buy it now so you can get a chance to win some of these valuable prizes. On the same boat We'll catch you in the next episode of the coach group podcast. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to The Coach Brew Show. If you're not currently subscribed to the podcast, sign up now on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And for more information to turn your potential into performance, head on over to coachbrew.com now.